Welcome, our fellow lovers of love, and thank you for joining us on yet another excursion through the stream of consciousness down the river of tranquility to fill the lake of life with love. Good evening, everybody. I'll have to fix that in post. <laughs> Turn these things actually up. Welcome to a late edition of Late Night Love. And tonight we're talking about um, grief and loss and how it can manifest itself in a wide variety of ways. And, you know, how do we get through it? And how do you find meaning in your life as you go through these things? So we're going to discuss the stages of grief. We'll have some uh, talks about what we do. God, we were not ready for the show. Can you go over there and turn it off? We're all discombobulated today. Anyway, but that's actually a you know a component of grief. You feel discombobulated, and so it's. And the thing is, we all. Grief is something you don't get out of. Yeah. No one gets out of this world unscathed by grief. And so it's something we have to learn to cope with and to deal with. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. All right. So, stages of grief, me love. What are they and what do they mean? Well, the first is shock. Even if... Um even if you anticipate the loss, like the death of a loved one from a terminal illness, it can still be a surprise. Yeah, even if you know it's coming, it, it, when it finally comes, you know, like, well, I prepared myself. Well, there's only so much you can do to prepare yourself for that, right? Yes. So during shock, uh, you may feel the situation just hasn't sunk in. You're not quite grasping it yet. And you might, or you might experience numbness and a sense of detachment from what's happened. So if you're not, everyone experiences grief differently. Yeah, and, if it, and it manifests itself, you know, in everybody differently. So, if, you know, when we talk about the stages of grief, and I mentioned it here in the article we relate to, is that they're not meant to, they're not meant to tell you how you should go through these things. They're general rules of thumb to help you understand what's happening to kind of help as a guidepost to go you to help you through but really and it's not even for you the person who's going through you're not going to pay attention to the stages of grief it's the people around you who are watching you making sure you're okay who use the things like the seven stages of grief say okay are, are they doing okay are they getting through it that's who actually uses these things so it's important not just for you but it's important for the people around you and the people you care about for you to understand what it is you're doing and experiencing the things we do. Okay. Next comes denial. You know, you just quite, quite can't quite grasp that they're gone forever. Yeah, your world has changed, and the world as you knew it is no longer there, there and so now you've got this thing to deal with. And it's very easy to say, no, I'm just not going to accept it. You know, it's a very human thing. You know, Nile is not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> yes. You know, it's a 
there's a reason we have a word for it. It's because we needed to describe this thing that is a human nature. So, you know, be careful with it. Don't stay in it too long. It's okay to get there. That's one of those places you don't want to spend any time at. You know, it's a stage. You're going to you know, pass through as quickly as possible. The denial usually doesn't last very long. Because real life has a way of smacking you. But if the longer you stay in denial, the bigger the smack will be. So that's the real danger. It'll help people with work. In if someone you know gets stuck in denial, that's one of those times where you try to find a way to intervene to help them move on. Even if it's moving on to, and we also want to play these stages don't actually have to happen in the order. In the order, yeah. Yeah, you can bounce through them in, in a wide variety of orders. Okay, now shock and denial are probably one and two, but the rest of these can come and go, and they're not sequential necessarily. Okay, anger is the next one where you get angry. You may feel confused or embarrassed about these feelings. Because it's a, um, you know, it's a strange thing, but, you know, maybe you start getting angry while they didn't take care of themselves the way they should have. You they, get angry at God. Or, or, you know, the world, you know, it's very, you left me, you know, to cope with all this. Now you've got all this post-death things to cope with, and now you've got to cope with it. And so anger is very... Very natural. It's very human. I mean, let's give ourselves some some benefits for being human. It's okay to feel angry. It's just again, just try not to stay there. Okay, the next one is bargaining. Okay, now bargaining. If you're having feelings of guilt, shame, or blame, your experience may fit into the bargaining. Stages of grief. During this stage, people often feel helpless and hopeless and ask themselves, what if questions? Yeah, and these are the times where, you know, you bargain with God. You know, you help me through this a lot. That's what a lot of people do. They go bargain with God. You know, try to find some way through this. And it's just a way to cope with this massive emotions that you're trying to grasp you know it's just a way for you to put find some way to put things someplace in your brain and you know i don't worry about people going the bargaining stage because mostly they're bargaining with themselves and so, <laughs> for the most part you know it may be sad if someone gets angry at god or something like that for a prolonged period of time and can lose their faith and I, that can be sad i suppose you know but the, the bargaining stage, if you're going to hang around in a stage <laughs> for a little while, the bargaining stage, it's in one bad one to hang around for a while because you're really working on yourself, really working on those emotions. That's what's actually technically happening is you're learning how to put things into places. And so it's just okay. It's just a way of you re restructuring your life, right? We talked about how... And the world as you know it knew it was no longer exists well you're now creating the new world and that's part of the process of transferring back. so you know it's just it's what it is all right next one is depression 
And depression is a difficult one, especially if you're already prone to depression. You know, if you're prone to depression, these kind of things can send you off the deep end. If you're not prone to depression, you know, these can be something you've never experienced in your life. So it can hit you very hard. The reality of the loss and the deeper level of sadness starts to build. Yeah, and, and the only thing you really have to hang on to is that you will get through it. We are human. We have been doing this for a long time. And, you know, if you just keep trying to move forward, then you'll be fine in the long run. It's just, it is so, so difficult. And depression is sadly the one where people get stuck the most. Right? Yes. Depression is the area where people kind of get stuck in the mud and the, the manifestation of depression actually helps you get stuck in the mud. So it's like getting double stuck. You know, it's just awful. So that's when you actually need to reach out and get professional help. That's when the professional help. If you notice someone who's stuck in depression, try to get them some help. You, know, you can't force it because, you know, but it is what it is. You can try to do what you can. Okay. What is this, testing? They call it? Yes, they call this testing stage. It involves trying out different things that help you move forward. Yeah. And you're starting to build your new normal. Yeah, testing and bargaining go hand to hand. I think. I think the testing and the bargaining going hand to hand. You're testing out each other, and the things that become that move through the bargaining stage end up in the testing stage. You know, some will try something new, you know, try new hobbies, maybe return back to some old hobbies that you had dropped off picked up yes you're trying to find yourself again is essentially what testing is and so you're literally you're, which parts of you are real now which parts of you do you still have you know because a lot of this you've been intertwined with somebody or something for so long and you know and it doesn't have to be necessarily we're talking like you're a loved one of a parent or a child or something like that but you know grief can happen with you know the loss of a house after a fire the loss of a job, you know, these kind of things. It's not just, you know, death that battles with grief and happen. So we want to make sure that we clear that, you know, these things, whether it's a death, which I think we're kind of referring to and mostly in our conversation, but it really applies the same concepts apply to the loss of a job, loss of a pet, especially a long time pet, you know, so these things are transferable. They're not just about death. Okay, so where are we at? Acceptance. Now, it doesn't mean you're okay with what happened. It means that you, the grieving process is more about accepting what your life looks like now. Yeah, it's, acceptance is just that, okay, you've kind of come to terms with what has happened. You come to terms that the life as you knew it no longer exists and you having to accept a new one and you can start moving forward and, and building the new you. And I think that's what's important. 
and you're, you're learning to figure out your new future. And that's the important part of it. Okay, so what's next? Coping? Coping with grief and loss. What I liked about this article was the different types of grief. Okay. There is anticipatory grief. Okay. It develops. Um, we're coping with grief and loss. Scroll down. Keep going. We need to start doing notes. Okay. Keep going. Oh, good Lord. Go. <laughs> Sorry. No wonder I couldn't find what she was talking about. There we go. Okay. No wonder. We've got, we've got to sit down and do three points. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, for example, you have an aging pet, or you know that your retirement or job loss is imminent. You may start grieving your loss before it starts unfolding. Yeah, long-term illness, or if you know job cuts are coming, you know, you know you're being laid off in two months or something, that's a big one. You got this big thing looming ahead. You know, in these times, that's a big one. So, yeah. Right? You start getting it. You know. Essentially, I think people like will call that as preparing. Preparing myself. I'm preparing yourself. Well, what you've done is you started the grieving process already. That's what it's really happened. Okay? Um. Now, during the stage, some people uh, equate it with giving up hope. And they refuse to allow themselves to grieve before the loss has occurred. Yeah, they, again, and there's no right or wrong way for these things, right? You just have to get through life as best you can. And, you know, try not to hang out in these, uh, in these dark areas for long. We're all human, we're going to go through them, but try not to hang out in them. Okay. Okay, next is disenfranchised grief. And this it this can occur when your loss is devalued, stigmatized, or cannot be openly mourned. Okay, some people may minimize the loss of a job, a pet, or a friendship. It's something that's not worth grieving over. Yeah, you know, we you deal with that. But, you know, grief is its own thing with every individual person. You know, try not to judge others and try not to worry about the judgment of others, I suppose, is the, is the takeaway on that one. Because you can't change their nature, so it's going to have to be you that does the work. So, can't change other people. No. So, it's you that's going to have to. Okay, so the complicated grief is the next one? Yes. The pain at, I don't know, my thing is whacked out. Um, it may never completely disappear, but it should ease up over time. And when it doesn't, 
it it keeps you it, it, and it keeps you from resuming your daily life and relationships. It may be a sign of complicated grief. Okay. And complicated grief usually arises from the death of a loved one where the loss has left you stuck in a state of derailment. You're unable to accept that your loved one is gone. Yeah, the, you know, we've talked about that, how it's difficult. Sometimes. You know, you may even search for them in familiar places. Yeah, you want to feel them around you. There's a number of ways that can manifest itself. We're done. We're done with this article. Okay. So. So, well, the, the important takeaway so far is that, you know, grief is individual, right? We all experience it as human beings. We all go through it. Always. If you go through your extended friendships, your extended family, always somebody in grief some part of the grieving process and frankly as you get older you never get out of the grieving process before something else kicks in right you're never out of it completely and that's just the way life is but of course the thing about being older is you've learned to kind of deal with it you know, that's the problem with being young you just don't have the experience yet when you go through the grieving process when you're young, it's like getting run over by a truck. You know, when you're a little older, it's getting hit by like, you know, 1960s Volkswagen bug. Yeah, okay, it's still going to hurt, but it's, it's a different thing. So, it's one of those things. It's the experience of grief actually helps you learn to deal with grief. It's a sad reality of the human experience, but it, it's part of the human experience. In a sense, we wouldn't be human without it, because without grief, there's where's the counterbalance to love? You know, it's the counter to love. Otherwise, the counter to love is hate. That's I don't find that acceptable. So the counterbalance to love has to be grief, so the nature stays in balance. to be so anyway all right so what do we want we want to go with uh changing spouse or do you want a cocoa to just lighten it up and go with the pet okay you want to go with the loss of a pet see if we can kick the loss of a pet for an extra 10 minutes <laughs> sure <laughs> you know it's not that i'm downplaying the loss of a pet it's just you know we've been talking about the loss of loss we've been kind of talking around it that we're talking about the loss of loved ones you know pets are our loved ones but at the same time there is a difference right so but anyway we all have pets we have ours our our little rambunctious ramses <laughs> she told you you should not have named him after an Egyptian god it's gonna go it's already through his head he is a god. He's I mean, a kitty god. No, he's a knucklehead. But anyway, so but your pets are be become part of your of your family, right? They're part of your life. One of the reasons we have pets is as companions, right? That's why we have pets. 
That's why we have cats or dogs, especially, as we have them for companions. Um, you can say it's a little different for like fish and and things like that, but you know, birds. But even birds are people's companions. I know people who have a number of birds, and they do view them. You know, feeling their personalities. They have quirks, likes and dislikes, and just like you know every other animal. So. And when you get to know things that way, when you get to know what your bird's likes and dislikes is, you know, when there are, when those things are no longer there, you know, you miss their presence. Nothing else. And just like anything else, when something gave you value, even if that value is, you know, a smile every morning, <laughs> you woke up to some quirky behavior, that's valuable. You know, not everybody has something to smile at every morning. So, you know, let's not devalue the loss of a pet. But why is it so painful? So let's see if there's there's some uh, psychological reasons, some scientific reasons of why it's so painful. Um, but well, um, for some, grieving a pet is more difficult. For some, uh, grieving a human is more difficult. But uh, a pet death, that doesn't mean that a pet death causes less grief than a human one. Well, They're a treasured member of your family. Well, because grief is different. And, you know, the grief of your of, uh, from losing a loved one, parent, spouse, cousin, it's going to be different than a grief, than the grief of losing your pet. But that doesn't devalue the grief it just makes it different it's a different type of grief you know value part of the problem is we use the term value when we use the term value we think of something tangible you know a value a tradable value you know, three chickens is worth a cow right whatever you want to go back <laughs> trading right um but there's no value in, in love value is not tangible it's not something you can touch not something you can trade it's something that is it's something that's individual and so you can't judge the difference it's not possible to judge somebody else's grief because you don't know what that what that pet meant that may have been their only friend during a rough period of their lives and so when that passes of course they're going to be heartbroken right doesn't necessarily mean they value the pet more than they value a human being, but they value what that pet brought to them. Comfort, companionship. Excuse me. So there's uh so that's that's the difficulty with all this, right? Because we all want to judge our own grief, judge what other people should be grieving. And I get it, sometimes some of these things can seem kind of goofy. You know, the, the way some people grieve over a pet for normal people, and they can seem kind of goofy. But just think, they're grieving in the amount of joy or amount of benefit that that pet gave them. So maybe we should be sad that they, that's all they had in their lives, rather than 
feel some compassion and empathy. So yeah, nobody talks. It's not a one size fits all after death. There's no right or wrong way to do this. I mean, I suppose there's wrong ways to do it. They're just not healthy for you. But the first step is to realize your grief is valid. And you have to recognize that it looks different for everyone. Yeah, so you talk about the, the five phases again, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And again, the depression is the one that everybody wants to worry about the most because that's the most dangerous stage. You don't want to get stuck in anger because then you just become an angry person. And But depression is downright dangerous. In denial, you'll eventually move through it because you have no choice. <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, it is what it is. And again, there's no... You know, some say five, some say seven stages, and it's not really relevant. The point is, is that you're going to feel different and your, your emotions and moods are going to change. How we deal with these are going to be... They're setting you up for how you move through the future. And take these things seriously. Don't discount them. One of the one of the thing men in particular do is we don't deal with our grief. We never go through the seven stages, the five stages, or whatever. You would just go back to work. And that's not dealing with it. That's just covering it. And you know, that's not healthy. So yeah. So there are right and wrong ways to get through grief. It's just it's gonna look different for everybody. And people like me can't say here and tell you what to, how to get through it. What we can tell you to do is to make sure you get through it. That's the important thing. And again, it's it's not the destination, it's the journey. That's it. So anyway, are we done with the grief and loss today? Yes. <laughs> I wasn't in the mood, so I apologize if I wasn't in the mood for dealing with grief and loss today. It's just one of those things. Sometimes what comes up on the on the topic rotation is not what you want to talk about on that particular day. So, well, my apologies, and we'll get through it. Hey, even though there is some news for us, you know, you know, I am now an award-winning yes TV producer. You couldn't tell it by this show, but I am an award-winning too. <laughs> All right, so what do we got next? Well, we have re our dive into Reddit. So how's the Reddit ever, the uh, great Reddit apocalypse? God, I can never say that. Probably. It's back to normal now. Is it? Yep. Interesting. Okay. I haven't read, so I don't know. Okay. Okay, we're going to start with relationships. Okay. Okay, my son, nine months, walked in on my wife, 39. Right. What? How is a nine-month-old child walking in anywhere? I don't know. <laughs> my guess is that's a nine-year-old child. <laughs> I just want to point that out. The chances of it. It's not impossible. Children of mine have been known to walk. I'm just doubting that this is because, okay. 
It's probably nine years. Nine years. That's what I'm guessing. Okay. Walked in on me and my wife having sex. What's the best way to handle this topic? You don't unless you need to. Unless they ask questions. Yeah, and then you just answer the questions honestly as they can understand. You know, if you want to keep it generic, you and mom were playing. You know, they understand that. Leave it at, now. If you're a more advanced nine year old, you may have more questions to answer than others. But at, at nine, they're not going to have many questions. Just deflected it that you're just playing or something and move on. The bigger the deal you make it, the bigger deal it will be. So don't make it a big deal. Answer the questions kind of honestly and quickly and move on. Now, in two years, it's going to be a different answer. <laughs> so if you've got an 11 year old <laughs> there's a different answer to that question than a nine-year-old but yeah for a nine-year-old yeah that's about what that is be my suggestion don't worry about it so much okay what's next my 39 my 39 male girlfriend 23 female accidentally fell asleep cuddling her guy friend in his bed and didn't reply to my phone calls at 3 a.m. Which, till 3 a.m., what should I do? Well, it depends. Do you believe it or not? My guess is you don't. So if you don't, then you, it's a different decision. So just putting accidentally in quotes. <laughs> it's a big signal. <laughs> he didn't actually believe the story. For some reason. For some reason, yeah. Yeah, and if there's probably other signals, so my guess is you know what to do. You don't need us to tell you. I mean, things like that does do actually happen, but, you know, especially at 23, 23-year-olds are weird. They always are, but... There's no good answer here. Because A, you don't want to assume she's not being honest. But at the same time, you don't want to be a schmuck. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one. You're just going to have to kind of follow your instinct on this one. I think you know. That's all I've got. Okay. You got something better? Well, I think I would have a talk with the guy friend. I, it's not his, that's not the problem. The problem is between them two. It's got nothing to do with him. It's not his responsibility, it's hers. It's not him that you don't trust. He was a participant. It's not his responsibility. She's in the relationship. Yeah, he's I not. know. He's not. He's nobody else is in any obligation to protect your relationship but you. Yeah. So I'm saying, I mean, if you want to ask and see what actually happened and see if you get a different story, I suppose that's fine. But it's not going to get you anywhere unless he actually happens to tell you the truth, which. <laughs> Or he wants to sabotage a relationship and tells you a lie that you want to hear. 
So there's just not, it's just you're not going to know anything better from, from doing that. You're just not going. That's the real problem here is you're never going to know, which is the breach of trust, which is you know the end of the relationship because you've already lost the trust. And so, so you know how long do you want to run this this out? All right. So what's next? All right. Twenty three female had thirty two female had started to develop a strong crush on a man. 33 male, I married for money. Should I tell him I love him? Well, you've probably already been telling him you love him, so just keep doing it. Just There's there, there's no good thing. Just start acting like you actually love him and have the crush on him and do all that kind stuff that you want to do. There's no reason to make a big proclamation. Just behave the way you want to. Just treat him like you love him. For God's sake, it's not that hard of a concept. <laughs> I get it, because she, you know, she's probably feeling guilty, and she wants to alleviate some of her guilt. But I want to ask you: Does he? Did he know you married him for money? If he knew that, then it's okay to to kind of expressly tell him, "Hey, you know, I know we had started this relationship, you know, but you know, your your good heart, your kindness, generosity, whatever it is." has won me over. I love you. Great. Okay. But if he thought you loved you and you were married for money and now you've, you're just going to destroy your relationship. It's one of those things. Leave it be. Just change your behavior, dude. <laughs> you know, you might not necessarily have to change your behavior. You may be behaving properly anyway. Just allow yourself to feel. You may not have anything to actually do. <laughs> you know, apparently he's happy. So... <laughs> So just just start behaving like you love him. Treat him well, and your world will be fine. If he knows you married him for money, then yes, go ahead. Tell him the proclamation and do all that. Great. Uh, I'm all for it. But if he thought you loved him and you actually married him for money and now you love him, just love him. <laughs> just, just, Leave him alone. Just love him. You know, there's no reason for that. It, there's no good that will come up. And I'm one who says, you know, be open and honest and all that. But no, that's because he'll never be able to forget that. He'll never be able to. It, some things just stay. <laughs> let sleeping dogs lie. It's all that. Okay. What's next? I, 27 male, found out my 25 female cheated on me four years ago. What to do? Well. What do you do? This one is phrased in a way that she generally doesn't know what to do. A lot of the times these people know what to do when you get these questions. You can tell by the way they're phrased. They know what they want. They just want someone to tell them. <coughs> On this one, he has no idea. Well, um, it's it's been four years for her, but it just happened for you. That is true. And, you know, do you trust the, the next four years? Because there's a vast difference between a person at 21 and a person at 25, right? You're, there's a huge difference in maturity between 21 and 25, right? There just is. And so you're going to have to make a choice on whether she is matured, whether it was a stinking thing at a drunken party or something, right? Not a kegger kind of thing. Or whether it was an emotional betrayal. Because those are actually two different things. One you can probably get over, and one you can't. Um, so, 
again, it's one of those questions. You're going to have to just sit with yourself. And this is one you can probably sit down and have a conversation. Just to see how it goes. And make a judgment from there. Is there anything else on that? No. Sit down and have an adult conversation. And that, how that adult conversation goes will tell you where you're next. And whether you found someone who's a future spouse or next ex. That my conversation is handled maturely, then you could probably put a piece together a future. Right? If not, then you won't be able to. All right, what's next? Okay, we're going to move into parenting. Okay. Almost two year old saying the, the, the F word. Fire truck, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the four letter F word. Um, and it happens. It, don't make a big deal out of it, and they'll stop. It's. It's just with this. I've got four boys. Trust me. It's just, well, they won't stop, but you know, from a, they'll stop for a while until they're older, deliberately. They will. Yeah. Well, then they'll use it properly. That two-year-old, they're just using it because it's a word they know how to say. It's a very easy word to say, so that's why they say it. They don't know what it means. Two-year-old has no clue what he's actually saying. And then you get the reaction out of it. He finds it funny, and so he does it again. That's what two-year-olds do. <laughs> <laughs> so the re the the thing the, the thing about a two-year-old saying curse words is don't react to it. Stop saying it. That's the trick. Yeah. Now getting your twelve-year-old to stop saying it is a vastly different thing. <laughs> okay. Okay, is everyone's second kid actually the wildest thing ever? No. No. I was the wild one. My sister was second. She was calm. Now there's no real... Thing. Now my second child is my wild child. Let's see. No, I don't... Well, no, the, the wildest one was the first. No, it's the wildest child thing. It's a, it's a parenting thing. It's how your parents decided to change raising them after the experience of raising the first one. They're either better at it or worse at it, but they're <laughs> one of the, <laughs> you know. And maybe they decided that you know what you just what you describe as wild may be a free to somebody else. So, you know, these things aren't hard coded. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Okay. Does every restaurant really need to line out their walls with TVs? Um, I don't know about restaurants, or I don't go to restaurants, so I don't know. I have never seen a restaurant, a restaurant with a line of things. I've seen sports bars and things that have restaurants attached to them that have lines of walls on TV, of lines of TVs on the wall. I've never seen a restaurant like you go to a restaurant and see a. Uh, you might have a TV over in the bar area or something. Yeah, but not in a restaurant. I've never seen it. But then again, I haven't been out to a restaurant, a real restaurant, in I don't know how many years. So, what the hell do I know? Uh, you're asking the wrong person on that one. But my guess is it's a sport you're thinking of is a sports bar. And that's why they have a row of TVs. Okay. Okay, how do parents afford to take their kids to Disneyland? Credit cards. Yeah. Yeah, that's how they afford to take their kids. They can't. 
which is actually why Disney is is in trouble at the moment because their tickets are too expensive and they took away all their routine customers. So, you know, what are you gonna do? Now the thing was, this is the the thing, the trick with these prices at Disney is Disney raised the prices to limit the crowds so the people who got into the parks would have a better experience. Of course, the economy changed right as they did that. <laughs> and so right when there was no room for that kind of change, they put in that kind of change. Because there's only so many room, there's only so many room in a park, right? They can only realistically only handle so many people a day. And so how do you limit how many people come into a day without limiting how many people come in? It's high ticket prices. And so, yeah, so someone who used to take two trips uh, to Disney a year can only take one now. But then that somebody who could only take, you know, who didn't want to go to Disneyland because it was too crowded will now come to Disneyland because it's not. So it's a balance. And Disney missed this year, completely missed on that balance. And they're suffering for it. But, you know, you, you credit debt or you save. That's what you do. Yeah. You know, all credit is is savings in reverse. Of course, you're paying for the savings instead of, I'm not going to say earning because you know it's earning money on saving in the savings accounts anymore. But <laughs> it hasn't been for a long time. But, you know, at least you're not paying anything. You're paying interest rates for debt or credit. So, it's that. Okay. Okay, we're going to talk about work now. Okie dokie. Okay, I shouted at a more junior colleague from the HR department. What should I do now? Apologize. Apologize to him and see what happens. Something he may nothing may happen. It may not be that big of a deal. Depends what he yells and all that kind of stuff. But you know, stop yelling at work. You know, go talk to the person. Say, hey, man, I apologize for losing my cool. You know, and move on. It is what it is. Because you can't put the genie back in the bottle, so all you can do is move. All right. Okay. My employer flew me out for an hour and a half meeting. Is this normal? Depends on the employer and the meeting. It's not all that abnormal if it's a high-level type meeting thing. If you're running a large project and they need, you know, specific details, it's not that uncommon. Because it's also not about you. It's about saving him time. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, he's going to have to come to you. And so for him, it's cheaper to have you come to him than for him to go to you. That's all it is. Right. He doesn't have to change the rest of his thing. He doesn't have to change his calendar. He doesn't have to do nothing except for that one and a half hour meeting. Yep. Yeah. It's not about you. It's about his time. Just remember that one. Just be prepared. It's all good. It's probably not all that bad news because they're not going to spend a bunch of money on you if it's bad news. They just you have some information and details that they need, and they want them face to face. Or maybe good news that they ask you know trying to interview for, for a higher position, kind of without telling you. So you know that kind of thing is rarely bad news. Now there may be a crisis that they're going to ask you to deal with, which is. <laughs> 
you know, it's entirely possible. So it may not be the greatest news, but it's not like you're in trouble type news. Okay. Because, yeah, they'll just have HR deal with that. Okay. Must say. Why is it that people come to work, mind their business, instead of drama are so fascinating to others? Okay, so why is it that people who just do their job and go home are fascinating to the people who don't do their job and go home? Yes. Well, because anything they don't know about is going to be fascinating to them. So what? Don't pay attention. Don't worry about other people's lives, if, especially if they don't have any interest in you knowing about other people's lives. Stay focused. You're there to do a job. Do your job. And I get kind of back and forth banter, getting to know your, your, your workmates and all that. That's all fun. But here's the thing. They hear you. They know you. They don't want their stuff, their personal lives, put out all on company blast or up the company grapevine. So they're not going to talk to you. That's why. Because exactly what you do, they don't want to be a part of. So that's why. they're. And you find that fascinating because you don't know something. And you're a nosy Nate. And you, <laughs> and you want to. So stop being nosy would be my suggestion. None of your business. Do they do their job? Yes, then it's none of your business. Okay. I have a decent job. It is meaningful work, yet I hate it. Why? Because it's not meaningful work to you. Or the work environment is crappy. My guess is it's generically meaningful work, but it's not meaningful to you. It may be meaningful to society, maybe meaningful to your town, maybe meaningful to your community. Doesn't make it meaningful to you. It's not what you want to be doing. It's very easy to get up and go to work to a job that has meaning to you. Just because it's a meaningful job that needs to be done doesn't mean that it's going to give you meaning in your life. Those are two different things. You know? And the other side is, maybe it's just a not a pleasant work environment. You know, that's the other option. Except he didn't say that. No. <laughs> Let's see. A lot of people have a crappy work environment. My work environment sucks. It's meaningful work, but I hate it. What? Yeah, <laughs> that's understandable. But they didn't say that. It's a decent job, which means it's decent. The work environment not be great, but it's not awful. It's meaningful work, which probably means you do something that's helpful for the community in some some form or, or, or of way, right? Who knows? Yet they hate it because it's, they're not doing what they want to do. It's a very simple answer. Solving the answer is difficult because now you're going to have to take a deep dive and figure out what you want to do. And your answers may surprise you. Okay, so what's next? Okay, we have six questions. Okay. You know, we try to keep our things clean, and you do not make it easy. All right, well, so what is this? Okay. What's the first one? How to get guys to stop staring me down during Earl? Put a blindfold on? Guessing? That's a good one. Put in a position where they can't? Is the second one? The third one is stop worrying about it. They're looking at you because they like you. But you guys remember men are visual creatures, so, you know. They want to watch. It's just what it, it, it just what it is. Now I 
I get that maybe it can kind of seem a little creepy, but yeah, put a blindfold on. See how it goes. Turn the lights all the way off so they can't see. Yep. <laughs> Try a position where he can't see. Yeah. Good old fashioned 69. Can't stare you down on that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so there are answers, but they're not necessarily good ones. <laughs> so. All right, what's next? My girlfriend came out to me as bisexual and later got mad at me when I told her she could hook up with other girls. Yeah, this guy's confused. Well, it's because he's a moron. She wasn't asking him to give her permission to go out and play with other girls. She was just opening up to him about something that she had been keeping from him, some deep part of herself. She wasn't asking for freedom to go out and bang. She was just asking you to understand that she had an attraction to women so she didn't have to, so she could be freely discussing this. You didn't understand what she was trying to tell you. <laughs> now, women have a way of trying to hint around these things and not being explicitly clear when they think we are, and men are dumber than, than you, you know, we're simpler than you all think, and we don't pick up on these things. So there's a little bit of miscommunication here. We would be my guest, but you're an idiot. She didn't ask you if it was okay. She, she, that's what she wanted, she would have asked. She just was sharing part of her with yourself, and the fact that you went and took it somewhere else upset her, rightfully so, because it's not what she was trying to do. Go and apologize for being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a guy, I didn't get it, sorry. <laughs> I thought, you know, guys, we're young guys, everything goes to sex, right? That's what happens. Guys are stupid that way. So just go and apologize for being young and and dumb and not missing what she was actually trying to say and now you can both live freely as who you are yeah yeah being bisexual doesn't necessarily mean you have to participate in the bisexuality it just means that if you're attracted if things happen that way things happen that way it's, it's fine but that, you know just because you're, you're attracted to a you know a art person from the other sex doesn't mean you just want to go out and find everyone you got <laughs> nothing changed other than her sharing and anyway you didn't get it frustrating <laughs> and I get it why she's frustrated so, and she's likely not mad she's likely just frustrated so go apologize you guys will be fine okay what's the average amount of sex a married couple have it's not relevant it's not relevant it's not a relevant question because sex is not the indicator of a of a healthy relationship it's just not it's not bad to have it it's you know have sex as many often as your bodies and desires can take <laughs> right great but maybe your bodies and desires can't take a lot of sex it doesn't mean your relationship isn't fulfilling yes and so don't compare yourself to the average couple compare yourselves to yourselves are you are you relatively happy with your, with your life? Maybe not in one particular month, but you know, over the course of the year, are you generically happy with your life? And the answer is yes. Then, you know, then you're getting enough sex. Yeah. If you, you want a little bit more, work at it a little harder. <laughs> you know, that's the answer to that. But don't compare yourselves to others or to the average, because you know what, the average couple doesn't exist. So don't compare yourself to them. All right. Okay. Hubby always wants to orgasm on my face. Should I have 
Should I keep appeasing him? Do you want to? It's his thing. If, if you want to. I mean, I can get that it can get Always? Old. I can get that it can get old, uh, you know. But it's definitely got a kink. Yeah. But you, you know, if it bothers you that much, then no. If it's, I can get how it would get old. You know, every time, really. <laughs> really. <laughs> you know, getting a rut kind of thing. Yeah, I get it. So maybe it's time for a thing called a discussion. And, <laughs> you know, it'll be uncomfortable. Yeah, it will. <laughs> but, you know, um, that's the thing. Relationships are full of uncomfortable discussions. But you get good at them. And that's the good thing about having uncomfortable discussions. The more you have, the better at them you are. So takes practice. Just like anything else. Just just like anything else. Alright, I think that's it for us tonight. I want to thank you for joining us. Oh, I didn't put any banners. We didn't do anything last night. You can find us at latenightlove.us. You can send uh, letters and have them read and answered on the air to love at latenightlove.us and you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Spotify, and all that stuff. I think I'm still behind from last week on getting it up there, but I'll get caught up sometime. Will you work a lot of hours? I'm busy. I'm busy. It happens. It happens. All right. Um, so, for me and Lovey, Good night, and please remember to love everybody. Good night.